0: Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots, brought to you by Capital Farm Credit, where we bring you the experts in the ag industry.
1: It's not our role to tell people how dumb they are when they're uninformed. It is our role to stand up for agriculture, and we do yeah. that very strongly.
2: In addition to a few Texas legends along the way,
0: we're your hosts, Joe Patronella
2: and Clint Crier. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to our roots.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Capital Roots. Today, we have Dr. Joe Outlaw and Dr. Bart Fisher from the Agricultural and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M University. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank you. You bet. We have uh, our esteemed co-host, Clint Cryer, joining us from Lubbock after some delays at the Lubbock Airport this morning, so he's with us in spirit and Zoom today. Um, Right. Guys, thank you all for being here with us. We are excited to talk policy and ag operations and everything that gets us all interested in the ag industry so uh before we kind of jump into the what's of what you're known about i kind of want to get s- some feelings about how y'all got involved in ag and what keeps y'all involved today so maybe just give me some background and what got you started in the industry
1: okay since i'm older i'll go first I uh, I'll, uh, you know uh I grew up in South Texas, Southwest Texas, in Devine, Medina County, Texas. Um, worked on my family's, family's very involved in agriculture down there, cow uh, calf operations, and then my uncles ran a custom harvesting operation along with they farmed. So I helped them growing up through high school. And when I came to college, uh, y'all being lenders, you'll understand this, I came in 1983 to Texas A&M. And with the directive, don't plan on coming back because agriculture is not that great, especially during the early 80s. And so I did, and I came up here, and I kind of went through uh, ag economics program and just kind of got fortunate that the one thing I was actually good at was the policy class taught by probably the best guy in policy in the country at the time. And he saw something and, and asked me if I wanted to stay for a master's, Ph.D., The whole thing and next thing I know they've hired me to stay here and a few years later that I replaced him as he retired to be one of the co-directors and uh, so I've been here a long time and I've been doing policy for quite some time and about three years ago uh, well I'll let him tell his story but about three years ago there was a hot shot in Washington that we needed to get back to Texas and uh, that's kind of a lead-in for you Bart. Sounds
3: good. So uh, I'm not a native Texan. I'm an adopted Texan. I originally uh, originally from Oklahoma, grew up in southwestern Oklahoma. Very adopted. So close. Exactly. So I grew up on a wheat and cotton farm, uh, also raised cattle. I was the fifth generation to grow up on our farm. Uh, Still pretty plugged in back home, try to get home as much as I can. But went to Oklahoma State for undergrad, uh, went overseas. Uh, I went to Cambridge University for my master's. Joe says I went to Hogwarts. Uh, <laughs> invariably, if we're in front of an audience, he's going to say I went to Hogwarts. I was going to say
0: that sounds fancy, but I like the Hogwarts comment better. But so, I, I okay. quickly made yeah. my way to Texas.
3: I, actually, I did a, a brief uh, four years in DC working. I uh, wasn't working in ag. That's all I'm passionate about is ag, and I wanted to get back into agriculture, so I came down to Texas a and to do a PhD. I was in the third year of that working with the Ag and Food Policy Center when I got a call asking if I'd go back to D.C. Uh, Frank Lucas was the incoming chairman of the Agriculture Committee at the time. Uh, He was going to chair the the development of the 2014 Farm Bill, asked if I'd serve as his chief economist. So I moved back to D.C. uh, to do that. Mike Conaway ended up becoming chairman, the congressman from Midland. Uh, He chaired the development of the 18 Farm Bill, so I stayed on and worked for him, too. So. Uh, A short stint turned into eight and a half years working on Capitol Hill as the the chief economist across uh, two farm bills. And as Joe just mentioned about three years ago, I got a chance to come back to God's country, and we took advantage of it. So all three of my kids were born in D.C., and uh, I took the opportunity to get them out of there and come back to Texas.
0: What did you just call... Brian College Station, was it God's Country? I did say God's Country. Did you hear you he called the Brazos Valley that and not West <laughs> Texas? Clint, I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you for correctly identifying it. Okay.
2: Yep. Yeah, I heard that, Joe. I heard that, Joe. I was just thinking as you guys were talking, uh haven't ever met Bart, you, well, met you Dr. Outlaw. but I think we've got a mutual uh, friend and contact and uh, actually a Red Raider from Agri-Country, uh, Matt Schertz, I went to school with.
3: Oh, absolutely. Matt. Matt was our staff director. The, I was his deputy on the committee uh, during the 18th. Yeah, so was so a great guy.
2: We like to say that Matt came to God's country for, for
3: school. So, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just a little of di- difference of opinion there. I know, I'm pretty partial. West. I grew up in the middle of a cotton patch, so I'm pretty partial West Texas, too. So, so, so Dr. Outlaw, are you
2: truly uh, your namesake, an outlaw?
3: Yes.
1: Very much so. Yes. <laughs> um, the older I get, the more I am kind of embrace it. So, uh, you know, it, honestly, the, a lot of people ask me about the name, and if it's my nickname or if it's kind of my stage name. I mean, as stage if I'm, <laughs> I, as if I have any kind of reason to have a stage name. And uh, uh, I quick quick aside: the, the best story I ever had was I was testified in front of the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, Blanche Lincoln uh, from Arkansas was the chairwoman, and she before I testified, she said, "Dr. Outlaw, before you start your formal remarks." like to know where your family got your name. And I said, Madam Chairwoman, we earned it. So that's like the smartest, coolest thing I've ever said in my life. It's in the congressional record. Go look it up. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of proud of that.
3: So we we literally just go back from speaking at a crop insurance uh, conference up in Kansas City. And we had this conversation just yesterday. Someone came up to me and said, that's got to be a fake class name. That's not your real name. Yeah. Is it? so. It's,
1: it's People can remember it. I will say that. So it <laughs> work, works good in that respect. And he
3: definitely earned it. That's true. That's fantastic. Yes,
1: yeah, so
2: all you all you policy guys, I got to ask Bart. Bart is Bart Fisher, your real and true name?
3: Uh, it is my real and true name. <laughs> yes,
2: it's not just a stage name for policy
0: person. It's not a stage name. <laughs> Clint's really big on the names awesome. here. I'm loving it. Um, awesome. So, you're still both involved in production DAG of some sort today, correct? That's right. So, do y'all feel that that helps? I mean, I, I'm sure it does, but how would you say that helps inform? the work that you do in DC on a daily basis.
1: I went first last time. You want to do this one first? Sure, up.
3: no. I, and I, I say that I'm actively involved at home. I don't know if my dad would characterize it that way or not. He's actually sitting in a tractor seat every day. But, my uh, dad
0: had to go put heifers on the road yesterday when I was working until years So he would have a different view of my activity on the ranch. Right my my
3: bank account indicates that I'm actively involved, yeah. uh, not necessarily a in a good way. Yeah, on a yeah. good year it indicates. Um, but no, we're still very plugged in. And, and to, for me, it's always been important, even in D.C. It, it looked different when I was in D.C., obviously. But I, I wanted to stay plugged in in part because because uh, you know, when, we're ma- when, when I was working for Congress, we were making decisions in DC. I wanted to have an idea of how it was impacting the people out on the ground. And so for me, it's always been important to maintain that linkage. You know, I do what I do. I, I came to work for the policy center because we're known for looking at farm level impacts. And that's the thing I care most about. How do the policy decisions that are made in Washington affect farmers and ranchers out on the ground? And so, I mean, we, we can do that through our center. We do that with working with producers all over the country, but it also helps to just still be kind of somewhat personally on the hook, even though it's not our main you know, source of livelihood, having that personal connection just kind of help, helps keep me grounded and helps me have a better sense of what producers are going through out on the ground.
1: Yeah, I guess I'd, I'd probably only add to that by looking at the academic side. I mean, most of the people that do what we do, I, economists from around the country, really don't have the, 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 the feel for what happens in rural agriculture. And just even though I have a relatively small cow-calf operation, I'm still having family plugged into all the rest of it, um, I know that the risk is something <clears throat> that the textbooks will never capture. And, you know, theory says let the market work and don't get policy – don't do policies and get intervene. And the reality is is, is that the uh, thankfully the Congress doesn't ever ask people who write textbooks in economics what we should be doing. They just they, – they've decided that we're going to support agriculture. And our role is to, to try to help them make the best decisions they can. Uh, we, we, we aren't the ones that get asked – should we do this we're the ones that you asked we're going to do this what's the best what's going to happen if we do yeah well
0: i mean you you spoke at our advisory council meeting last week and a story that you told really stuck with me it was about an individual that reached out and and said i think i can solve texas's cotton problem and they said plant corn and and you had to go there and you said have you seen texas and you know part of it looks like the moon And I I really admired the way that you still took the meeting and you still talked to him. And and what you saw at the end was he didn't know any better. And I think that is not only education, but in a way advocacy is a very broad term, but that was teaching that individual that didn't know any better what it actually is because otherwise they're not going to know. And if you had laughed in his face, well, that doesn't do anything. And so I I think what y'all do helps on multiple levels in terms of both high-level stuff that you and I will never understand about policy, but somebody that doesn't know what actually can work, just giving them a baby, stuff like that.
1: Well, it's, it's our role. I mean, we, we, our center has received funding for almost almost 40 years in a row, one year at a time, which is a pretty tough gig to get done out of Washington. And the reason why we do that is because we've been helpful to them. And if we, if we weren't helpful, this would be over with. And so th- it does, it's not our role to tell people how dumb they are when they're uninformed. It is our role to stand up for our culture, and we do yeah. that very strongly. So uh, I, I, we have, we both embrace it, even though I have the image of being Doctor Doom and kind of think that's that's what people call me around the state a lot. Uh, he's Captain Sunshine, and I'm, I'm Doctor Doom. That's fine, you know what? But together we we provide people what they need to know
3: i was going to say though just to the last example you gave on more than one occasion in dc we did have to explain folk to folks that it doesn't work very well sending a corn stalk through a row unit on a cotton stripper so uh yeah the, the it is funny if you're far removed from agriculture you know and it's a good thing i mean we have very few people growing the vast majority of what we consume in this country, and the rest of us can go off and do other, other things, but it does create this disconnect. And so sometimes folks have to be re, you know, reminded of uh, what it's really like on the ground. And this notion, hey, you can just go quickly switch to a different crop, uh, there are a few
0: limitations
3: uh, in place.
0: <laughs> or just We don't do any farming. We just do ranching, and it's small compared to what most folks do, but it keeps us busy. And I'll have friends that'll come out to the ranch and be like, they're not in cages like no they're not in cages (laughs) i treat these animals better than i treat myself most days like so it's it's all about getting that story out there so absolutely so joe uh you touched on something that's
2: kind of interesting to me i think i would venture to say confidently that the four of us are pretty passionate about agriculture but you talked the comment that stuck with me is that you can't uh, exemplify the risks associated with agriculture production in a textbook. So education, something that's really incumbent upon all of us that are passionate about agriculture, how do we bridge that gap between say a theoretical concept of, of agriculture and, and how it really works, how, how agriculture producers really feed the world, if that makes
1: sense. Well, I think we have for, you know, for the last 40 years, we've been trying to do that in our center of explaining to people uh, we, we've included risk in all of our analysis, which means that when we tell someone an answer, we say because of the, we don't know where prices are particularly going to be this year, and certainly not three or two or three or four down down the road. Uh, uh, and same thing for yields. I mean, in Texas, uh, if if you never if you if you operate in the Midwest and your chances of a big huge problem loss is one every 20 years. That is not West Texas where you're from that's that chance of a big loss is every it's two out of five or some percentage like that and so you know the main thing is it is they need someone who isn't selling them something uh trying to ex- to explain to folks that the risk in agriculture is so incredible and that we should be i know we spend in some people's words we spend money that ends with a B you know billions on agriculture and support and I tell them that that is such a small price to pay for them not having to grow their own food because if most of them took their experience with trying to do a garden and applied <laughs> that to trying to feed themselves I think they'd figure this out It's a lot harder than it looks and so I, I use all kinds of examples I try not to uh, to get too deep because the average person knows what they know and they don't really want to know a lot more.
2: You guys have obviously, as we've talked about, spent a lot of time in, in Washington, D.C., uh, which is a little bit of a, a melting pot, but I'm curious if you guys had any good star- stories specifically uh, with somebody that might be considered an uninformed uh, person of agriculture. Just anything crazy or any stories thereabouts and explaining agriculture? You could safely leave factors?
0: a name out or something. Let me.
1: Well, most of them are members of Congress, so I can't really say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, no, obviously, obviously we, we both do. And, and in terms of stories, he has some of the better ones because of being a staff person who was trying to inform members on votes. And I, and I know that he has a lot of examples. I don't know if he wants to, to share any specific names, but just examples of trying to explain to people on the floor of the House before a vote why what they think they're voting on is not exactly what they're voting on. Yeah, I, I'll leave
3: names out because I I would like for our center to remain funded. <laughs> yeah, but, correct. Uh, like the job. Uh, no, I mean even as hey, an in- a-
2: acronyms are acronyms <laughs> are, initials will also work
3: even as an intern, some of the calls we would get from folks uh, in the country, not countryside, from cities, calling in with concerns about things you know in agriculture. It was. It was pretty amazing. A lot, interestingly enough, a lot of it revolves around animal welfare issues, which are yeah. it's fine, and people can have their have their opinions. But you do spend a lot of time just educating. But no, on the on the member front, you know, just one example was we were when we were working on the the twenty what would become the twenty fourteen farm bill, we were doing an extension of the 08 bill. I got a call one night that we had a member. Uh, in the cloakroom right off the house that was trying to take down the extension because they were concerned we were doing something and it's very archaic it's rooted back you know to some of the early the permanent farm bills back in the 30s and the 40s and uh, they were convinced we were doing something you know, trying to slip you know sneak something through and I get dispatched over to the house chamber like 9 p.m. I'm getting briefed by a whole team of lawyers while I'm walking under the tunnels walk in they show the speaker's office shows me face to face with this member like Answers and he just goes off you know about ten minute monologue. I spend about two or three minutes rebutting, you know, walking through the list of actually that's not correct, that's not what we're doing. He looks at his, turns to look at his staff member who's got you know his eyes are about that big around says, well, what do you say? He's like, I, th- I think we're fine. And they turned around and you know voted for the bill. And so there's a whole lot of that that, that goes on. But I mean, the flip side of it, too, though, because I talk, you talk to a lot of people who are disillusioned with Washington, right? I mean, you, you don't have to look very hard to find a lot of frustrating things about that town. The flip side is that there's a lot of really good folks up there who, particularly when it comes to agriculture, who are very committed, very dedicated, a lot of them who, who come from the countryside. So there's a lot of people doing really good work there. And the other is that you, I encourage folks. I encourage people tuning into this podcast to take the opportunity to engage with your members of Congress. I mean, Capital does that. You t- your, your board goes to D.C., borrowers go to D.C. Uh, on tours. It's incredibly. Yeah. It, I mean, it's hard to, to lament this education gap between rural America and, and D.C. if we don't do anything to try to close it. And we we certainly do our part from AFPC, but I think there's a role for uh for everyone to play there and it's amazing I, the number of times i saw a member change their view on something <laughs> because they heard from someone from home someone from home told them their personal story and they just turned on a dime because they had read they'd read something somewhere but then they heard from a, a real life producer of how they would be impacted and it can completely change their perspective so uh i highly encourage people to engage in the, it's easy to be cynical but i'd encourage you know people to try to get through that and uh, to
0: engage in the process That's what we try to do on our fly, and that's what you were talking about last week, is take your problem but make it a positive story and make it relatable so that then they care about it. And that's what we always try to do, and and that way it's not just a whining. Complaints, exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure. Because you have to tell your story where they care about it and it's heard. I
2: think the perspective that I heard there, too, in your comments is that our job is not only offensive but also defensive in, in a respect as well uh just kind of interesting to think about
1: absolutely well as as an example bart and i we have lunch almost every day when we're in town which eh, isn't that often but when we do it's all about work and we were just having a conversation about the crop insurance industry is continually on on defense and i think y'all have a component of your organization that has crop insurance and and one of the things that uh a lot of people just need a little bit of a nudge from folks like us that have some experience in the process. It's, it's not okay to be – the world doesn't expect you to lose money doing your business. But being in such a defensive mode most of the time, because crop insurance's mantra is do no harm to crop insurance. Everybody's heard that. Mm-hmm. Well, really it should be what do we need next to make it even better? and to get some industries to think that way is really hard because we do this all the time, and we see things people can people do come and ask us, and because of his connections up there, when we have farmers in this state that have had a problem with something to do with their payments, he's been able to, since he's been here in the three years, he's been able to work through that and get hundreds of thousands of dollars that they rightfully should have, should have received uh, delivered and it's it's all because people just sit back and take it, and and my words of wisdom to the industry, crop insurance or otherwise, is that government's programs are not they're not a something that is so frail that you can't ask them to make them better, because because all this stuff has been made better since basically 1938 and 1949 are the two acts that it's all based off of. And
3: well, I think we're at an interesting time right now too, because for the last five years. You know, the federal government spent over $90 billion in the last five to six years in ad hoc unbudgeted aid. And why is that? You know, in part because the safety net did not live up to the times, right? When we crafted the 18 Farm Bill. you did. Yeah, (laughs) when we crafted the 18 Farm Bill that I had had a role in, you know, we weren't necessarily, one, we were right in the midst of dealing with, you know, the trade wars with China, which, oh, by the way, I was also the trade advisor for the committee during that window, during renegotiation of NAFTA. But we weren't Super anticipating a very calm time. Yeah. We weren't anticipating a pandemic, though, right? And so what it, it we weren't anticipating that plus a, a whole string of successive natural disasters. And so you saw, I mean, Congress wasn't willing to let that pass by without providing additional aid. And so now we're at a point in time on the cusp of a new farm bill where we get to ask those questions do you just sit back and be defensive or do we look at it proactively and say, we've spent all of this unbudgeted assistance? Maybe we need to go back and hit the reset button, make some improving uh, improvements to the standing policies that we have in place. And so uh, we're right in the you know the, the early stages of that conversation right now. I'm
2: curious, you mentioned the ad hoc unbudgeted aid that, that has come out of the government over the last two years or whatever that time period was. But I'm, I guess I'm curious of perspective as we go forward and progress in, in future uh, farm policy. How? What's the perspective of members and then you know, outside at the same time on that ad hoc or unbudgeted? Does that actually help our cause with regard to furthering support or does, that, is, does it go in the other, other direction, if that makes sense?
3: take a stab
1: well sure uh you know honestly when you when you look at the ad hoc assistance the crop insurance uh system we have federal crop insurance system we have in this country was designed to make it where we don't provide ad hoc assistance that's supposed to be the safety net in those cases uh i answered this yesterday on a panel i don't know did you like my answer yesterday yes okay so uh (laughs) we don't agree on everything all the time so I uh, answered and said, look, uh, President Trump was clearly willing to spend money as a Republican. However, the House of Representatives now is 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 being governed by uh, what I would consider to be more conservative Republicans than he was. And I think going forward, it's going to be much more difficult to get that ad hoc dis- assistance um, than it was under President Trump or uh, in prior Congress. So my sense is we better work on policy now for this particular farm bill that that does a lot better job than the previous set of policies were even designed to do it's all about money so we could he he, i make fun of him but tease him about if if we wanted all this fixed all they had to do is give him the money in 14 or give him the money in 18 and this could have been fixed but the reality is is that uh the way that the budget works for for doing farm bills it's a if it's a difficult haul and that's really the hard question is are they going to provide money for this next bill to kind of make some of these fixes
3: and I, I mean there's a clear preference to move away from that right to you know this recent phenomenon the last five or six years this resurgence of ad hoc i think there's the policymakers want to get away from it why i mean one it's unbudgeted that that alone is a challenge too. It's after the fact. I mean, particularly for for guys in the lending community, I mean, it's tough. How do you how do you lend to a bar where you say, hey, if things go bad, maybe you'll get uh, help a year after the fact, right? You can't bank on that. Uh, and then the other is the timeliness. When the aid does come, it's usually long after the fact. You contrast that with something like crop insurance. One, you go into the growing season. You all, I mean, if you're trying to cash flow someone, you know exactly what their coverage is at the front end, right? And if there's an indemnity, it's paid in a couple of weeks, not in a year, uh, while we're praying that it might happen or not, right? So there's a clear preference to to insurance. I think what's happened between those two bookends, though— is if you look particularly in the state of Texas, you know Joe was highlighting. You know we're talking about some of the risks here. You know because of those risks, our growers in this part of the country pay considerably more for their insurance, right? And what do we do? We buy down. I think buy down coverage. I think that's something. You know particularly for those who aren't involved in ag, that's a hard concept for them to to understand, right? You think of a five hundred dollar deductible on your car. Well, imagine you convert that to a thirty percent. I mean, we have seventy percent coverage, which means thirty percent of your crop. I mean, so a $500 deductible in a car turns into, I don't know, $200,000, $300,000 deductible in a farming operation. And I think what we saw was Congress saying, you know what? If we have a really bad disaster, that deductible is way too big, right? It ought to be a lot smaller. Well, you you have those conversations in farm bills, and until you get to that, you do ad hoc, right? You try to get help out the door to help. it. So, I mean, that's the nature of the conversation I think we will have, probably should have, is uh, kind of trying to find that appropriate level. I think one other key piece too is that you look at how much we pay. You know, our growers in this part of the country, you know, in in Lubbock, for example, Clint, you've got, I mean, roughly seventy percent coverage on average, seventy five, and you're probably paying ten percent. So whatever liability you insure, you're paying ten percent of that in premium. They're part of the parts of the country they can buy eighty five percent coverage for two percent, right? So there's some huge differences there. Insurance coverage in our part of the world is really expensive. So a lot of it comes down to how do you close that gap? Is there a way to kind of to try to close the deductible? And I, I, given the questions we're being asked by Congress, I suspect that some, you know, that's one of the, the many
0: things that they're looking at, at grappling with. So we've been talking about the Farm Bill. Would you guys humor us and tell us a little bit about like, what that process working with Congress looks like for y'all? Maybe a little bit of what the day-to-day is, or I'm sure they're all different, but maybe a general overview? if whatever you're allowed to. I nominate Joe to go first. Okay.
1: <laughs> so so our process of working with Congress is pretty interesting because we're in a support role. I mean, they provide assistance for us to help them make better decisions. So a lot of times we're just sitting around waiting and anticipating. My biggest job, and the thing since I've taken over of being in charge was I've been pretty good at anticipating where the what was out in the press, what, what are the things we need to analyze so that we're not six months away from any kind of results that, that people would need to make a decision. And so we, we sat around a lot going, you know, the staff are going to be, this is the process they go through to develop the bill, but we need to be out in front of them and try to anticipate as much as possible. And so, you know, the working with them is great because, uh, well, first of all, we are bipartisan, right? That's in Washington now, that's not really the way things work. Sure. Meaning that anybody who asks us a question is going to get the answer regardless of who asks it. And, and so that is kind of a weird process to work through when you have, over my years, Washington has become more and more and more partisan, even on the Ag Committee, which for many years it wasn't. Um, so we have a system where. If someone wants us to do something, they have to send us a letter officially requesting our help. And the reason being is that gives us protection when the other side gets sees, the if they see it, the report, and they get mad that, why did we go out just picking a fight? And so this letter, uh, official request letter, kind of serves as, you know, we didn't just do this on our own. We're not trying to be partisan. And that amazingly has been really important throughout my career of getting that kind of protection so we can do the work for him and uh, I'll turn it over to let him say a little bit of the inside baseball part.
3: I'm I'm confused because I've never seen Joe Outlaw sitting around so uh, (laughs) between the two of us we probably give 50 talks a year each of us so we're constantly on the go but no I mean a, a lot of the work for DC is initiated by DC right they know they know where to find us but Having been on both sides of this, you know, when, when I was in DC, um, when we were working on the 2014 for Farm Bill, for example, there were a lot of changes in that bill, right? One, because it was cutting 23 billion. And so for the money that was left, we f- had to figure out how do we leverage that as far as we possibly can. It involved creating things like PL, you know, the Price Loss Coverage Program with new reference prices. Well, where did we go uh, for help in establishing those? We went to AFPC. And so I worked in, in that capacity. I worked with Joe a whole lot because Uh, we were using all the cost data from our farms representative farms around the country to help inform that process and so that's just one tangible example and we're doing right now it's all about cost of production right you know this profit squeeze that we've seen that yes prices are up but costs have exploded you know to do all the supply chain issues and so on and so forth and so we're getting I mean we're doing that work We we can't say who who for but we're doing work right now on that very thing in anticipation of 23. I think the other is that you know particularly having haven't been up there we get a, a, a lot of calls not to do big projects just to answer questions right so almost every day we get a call from someone on Capitol Hill asking us how stuff works how they should think through something and then you know beyond the traditional farm policy stuff we'll get asked to weigh in on a lot of different topics so increasingly we're getting asked to weigh in on the nutrition uh, programs uh, during covid with you know where we had the spike in beef prices at, at the retail level, Going the opposite direction at the farm gate, we uh, we were asked to, you know, on three different occasions to do projects on fed cattle pricing, for example, which is something we had not historically, you know, Congress hadn't historically asked us to do a lot with. A taxes. An- an- another one then was also on taxes, which I saw that just, uh, I think the president of Texas Farm Bureau was testifying on that topic just this week in, in D.C., You know, they were looking when the Biden administration was looking at doing Build Back Better. They were looking at elimination of stepped up basis as a way to pay for that, or you know, revisiting the exemption levels on the estate taxes. And we did a report on that topic uh, for the Senate. You know, speaking of one where we had a request letter because it's rather a sensitive topic, Mm -hmm. and it it made it all over the Senate floor. It made it all it made it on Fox News. Uh, it came up at a White House press briefing. It's not every day AFPC's work uh, makes it. Uh, in ag circles, it's pretty well known, but on that particular report, it made a big splash. Not because we wanted to make a. We're not here to make splashes, but uh, it certainly. Well, that's a very a lot important matter. So. so absolutely.
1: Well, what, uh, to add on just quickly, uh, during the 14 Farm Bill, which was his first and the first in that kind of really empower power, power role with a lot of pressure on him. Uh, I kept track of the phone calls, and, and there was a, over 100 different, not not just phone calls to check in, but phone calls where they asked us a question whether it was something important to analyze and or just, hey, Joe, you're old, you've been through this, what if? And there was over 100 of them. And I can tell you that he allowed us, the only, the only people that allowed us, we did two reports that were allowed to see the light of day. And and both of them made the other side really mad because it was it was just the, the the nature of the beast that that uh, their potential their proposals weren't uh, very solid.
3: I mean, we we may work
1: in academia, but we've
3: got a foot in both worlds, right? And one of the sure. realities for us is that everything we work on is politically sensitive. And if it's requested by Congress and they don't want it going anywhere, we may work for six months on a project that no one knows about because they get the results they don't want they don't like it they don't want it doesn't matter to like it's gone at that point right and so it's only public if they choose to to release it so i mean it's a pretty unique environment to work in where we often do a lot of work
0: that never sees the light of day and and that's okay yeah i think i asked my question wrong when i said what does your process look like it's like what does it not look like because you do everything and so
3: thank you to some degree really good work I will say, farm bill though, in, in farm bill time is is way more intense than the inter, inter, intervening years. But they've managed to keep us pretty busy over the last
0: few years, uh, regardless of farm bill times. Right. Seguing off of that, okay, if it's possible, what it, all you do a lot of policy work, obviously. If, if y'all, if you don't specialize, like, what would be your favorite policy matter to work on, like that you just really geek out over?
1: I'll go first.
0: Uh, I don't know. That just really interesting. Go me. for it. I'm, so, well, okay. I'm curious. So, so, so
1: among the – okay, so what are there? 12 titles of the Farm Bill, ranging from commodity program payments to, to uh, nutrition and conservation uh-huh. and forestry? I mean, there's a lot. And crop insurance is one of them as well. The, the one that I have specialized and spent most of my time, and I think if people say they want to find somebody that – is an expert on an issue it's title one which is a commodity title okay and all those types of programs and it's not so much that I know everything about everything it's just that one of the things it sort of
3: is that way actually it, but
1: it, it works out where this is one place where a age actually matters because a lot of times we get asked you asked me a goofy questions before A lot of times I get asked about some new idea that somebody came up with that we have tried before in this country. If they did any kind of homework on their job, they would have known that. And so I can go through and kind of go, oh, yeah, well, we tried that once, and this is kind of the things that you need to think about because this is what happened. And they're like, oh, my gosh, thank you for telling me that because I was about to get my boss to go forward with something like that. And so we have to know a little bit about everything, and but – the commodity programs are really what i've focused on in my career
0: well that goes into what you said like gray hair really gives credibility and matter which it does so i can see that
1: well and
3: mine and mine's not very novel but i mean we do get to choose what we work on right i chose i am choosing to work on farm policy uh, and for some folks may not be that exciting but uh you know, we both teach. I'm literally leaving the studio and going back and handing out final grades uh, to our ag and food policy class for this semester. 190 students, and I make them suffer through a whole semester of learning about farm policy. Why? Because I think it's incredibly important. And if I weren't working on that one thing, I would be home farming. I love farming. I love production agriculture. Uh, but I have this very unique opportunity to help every every producer nationwide. And so whether it's the Title One stuff that Joe mentioned, I probably spend more time, now uh on crop insurance even more so than title one but those two things together you know they make up the core farm farm policy again may not be that sexy of a topic to some but for me like i i love the topic why because it direct it is the topic i think that most directly affects uh farmers and ranchers and so i love getting to work on that topic and uh i choose to work on that topic otherwise i'd be choosing to go home and farm full time
0: Half of my days are spent looking at wills and orders submitting wills to probate. If you want to talk about sexy work, so I think (laughs) I think what uh, Clint alluded to is we're all here because we have a very big passion for ag, but it all leads back to that overall industry, and that's why we do it. So I get that
1: there isn't. I can only think of one other set of one other university, and that's our partners at, at Missouri, that have the kind of influence on on U.S. policy that we are able to. And I don't say influence to our way of thinking but uh, he knows he's the one that called and asked and he said uh, what would you do on the 14 Farm bill Uh, the senate's going to run with this policy what would you do on the other policy and I said well this is what I do to be very clear and he said write all that down and send it to me so with you know that doesn't happen anywhere else and frankly my department doesn't know about that my college doesn't know about that but I know that there was a big difference made right there for Texas producers and, and other producers where risk is really important. Uh, we were able to save them and they'd have no idea. Right.
2: Mark, you talked about crop insurance and you made a comment that it, it affects both farmers and ranchers. Talk about that a little bit, because I think the general mantra is that crop insurance is only for row crop guys.
3: Sure. No. Well, that's a general mantra in policy in general, right? I mean, uh, I am a cattle rancher. right? I grew up in a ranching family. Yes, we far we farm as well. But I mean, that's a common refrain, right? The only thing you want a cattle cattle guy wants from Washington is to get out of the way, right? But that's a little, particularly nowadays, is a little too simplistic of a view, right? I mean, particularly over the last twenty years, that that has certainly shifted. One of the, one of the things I worked on in fourteen was on the livestock disaster programs. They had expired with the 08 farm bill. Mister Lucas, who at that point was in a, I guess we're in the second year of the drought that would become the four, you know, ultimately five-year drought. We ended up making LFP retroactive and then fully funded it going forward, right? So LFP alone has had a huge impact on Texas and particularly on the South, you know, really throughout the Great Plains and, and cattle country. The livestock forage but program, it, uh, livestock that LFP. Forage, okay. That LFP. Uh, on the crop insurance side, though, another one that is not that well-known, but one of the things we did in 18. So when co- we added cotton back to the farm bill, uh, in 18 as part of the Bipartisan Budget Act. One other piece of that bill that, you know, kind of, you know, went without much notice was historically you could not, RMA, the risk management agency, agency couldn't spend more than $20 million a year on livestock, on, on crop insurance policies for livestock. That was struck in that bill. And since then we've gone, as a country, we were insuring $500 million worth of livestock liability in 18. It's now over $22 billion four thousand percent increase in the last four years and so you've got a lot of guys right now and hopefully folks who are listening who haven't been looking into this with prices where they're at right now livestock risk protection is a policy that's available where for pretty pretty small premiums you can lock in prices uh you know several months out and so you've got a lot of risk management tools now particularly in crop insurance for livestock that didn't even exist i mean they existed five years ago but because of limitations they couldn't you know, it was just a limit on how much could be available. And so all that's gone, and it's a completely new day for livestock producers.
1: And that, and that tells you a little bit more about how we've transitioned over time. Early on, crop insurance was viewed by producers as another input they're buying. And what is my return on that investment? Oh, I didn't pay? It's a terrible return. Now, honestly, the, the, the producers are more sophisticated I mean, it's been 40 years I've been doing this. So the producers are a lot more sophisticated, the ones that are left, and they understand that uh, hedging and risk protection and and aren't afraid to spend a little money to to uh, to lock in some profits. Uh, th- th- and it's a good time. The bad time is, and you know, the farm bills. Make sure we make this point at some point the farm bills are for the bad times they're not for right now right now the commodity prices are pretty high for most everybody the livestock prices are high for everybody but hogs the farm bill is about the time when this top of that cycle turns and starts heading south and that's why it's really hard to do a farm bill just right now because of that problem
3: but i think one other just to, to pile on what joe said too. I think there's still this misunderstanding out there because you think of farm bill and it's all about well subsidies, subsidies to this person, subsidies to that person, and and we've real and certainly that was the case years ago. But starting about 25 years ago, we started moving away from that model. And almost the only thing that remains for growers, it, even if someone calls it a subsidy, it's really a risk management tool where they're having, for the most part, particularly in the case of crop insurance, they're having to buy the coverage. The federal government partners in it, but they're buying the coverage. And even on the income support side, it's much more about risk management. It's not about a cash transfer. And so uh, growers, it is, a lot, it is a lot more difficult now because they're having to make decisions. DC's not deciding, hey, you're going to get this. DC's making tools available, and then growers have to put in the work to be able to decide which one uh, or which combination of those tools best fits their operation. And so I think that's all a common misunderstanding, right? We don't, we, we don't do things nowadays like we did, you know, even as recent as 20 years ago.
2: One thing I'd say, too, is that's, you know, capital farm credit's 110% agriculture, and one of the things that we want to do is be solution-oriented to address the problems of those producers that do business with us, and I think that for that reason, that's why you'll see a bigger emergence of our emphasis on crop insurance at capital farm credit, not not necessarily from a lending structure standpoint, but our crop insurance business so that we can offer those solutions to help farmers manage that risk. And it's not just for farmers, as I asked the question is of you, Bart, but I think Uh, moving away from that and opening eyes of of what's available out there in the form of risk management products not only to those farmers but also to those cattle producers and ranchers
3: and one other thing i might add to that too i we get asked this a lot you know and and particularly it's for younger producers young producers uh or you know a whole group of other producers that we try to work with provide additional assistance to whether it's veterans or socially disadvantaged producers we get asked that question a lot of what more should we be doing in that space? And I frequently come back to I think the two most important parts, and it's and it's important to know this because the, the federal government, they have all we have all sorts of programs, right? And and money we can invest things in and groups to invest in. But at the end of the day, what's going to whether you're a beginning farmer, more established grower and where, wherever you are in between, the two things that are going to help you be successful as a grower: one is having a robust safety net, and two is having access to credit. And frankly, if if you have two of if you have those two things, I think they're the, the foundational building blocks of being able to be successful. Uh, certainly, not that's not going to alone make you successful, but those are the two fundamental starting points for being successful in production ag. Uh, and thankfully, those are still I think the, the biggest focus of the farm bill. But my my concern too is we get further and further removed from the farm as we lose sight of that and it's it's a challenge to make sure that policymakers stay focused on those two things yep
2: Joe, i was just thinking we might we might want to get with our marketing department get uh get bart on on board to help tell the story there i thought he did a, a very good job of that you know capital farm credit has two of those three things Get them on so, a billboard
0: or something like that. We all that. need my yeah. face on a billboard. Well,
3: <laughs> that's exactly what we need. Well, you better get one of those wide ones as well. See
1: now. See what I have to put up with. I thought every day, we were right? so close exactly. to the end. I thought
0: we were going to make it. It, it oh. went completely off the rails. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clint, that's about what I got. You got anything else?
2: I don't think so. I appreciate you guys being on today. It's been a it's been an enlightening discussion. Uh, hopefully different than what you guys would see in, in your normal ordinary talks where you wanna people wanna talk the technicalities of, of the the farm bill and farm policy and the current inner workings.
0: Or what's happening, what are you gonna tell us, when is it gonna be? Well, <laughs> know. That's kind of. Yeah, you didn't happening. ask us when the farm bill is gonna get done. So well, I'm I, I think everyone knows that. So, <laughs> but I just I wanna thank y'all for being here as someone who gets a desk pay job through AG and on a good year one through the farm y'all do so much for all of us and we're really really appreciative of it and that's not lost on any of us so sure. i thank y'all very much our pleasure thanks thanks for having us so, oh yep. wait thank you guys and southern ag today so what's the Absolutely. website
3: he
1: does it better than i do southern, southern
0: ag. ag today dot org okay i checked this out really great content farm bill just policy in general everyone needs to check it out and Just a plug for y'all there. Really wanted to get that in here before we ended. So I appreciate it. Anyway, thank y'all for being here today. Thank y'all. Thank you for joining us today on Capital Roots. Texas agriculture is the foundation of our story and what makes us family. Capital Farm Credit is a proud member of the farm credit system. We finance farmers, ranchers, agricultural producers, and rural landowners. And we're here to make your vision a reality. We've been serving rural Texas for more than a century, whether it be traditional, innovative, or lifestyle will help you cultivate new ground. We're all in this together. Because together, we're better.